Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Leadership to Wealth podcast. I got to tell you, I'm a little angry on this week's episode. There are some items here I'm trying to address and I want to do it without uh, having to bleep out the entire session. So if you see a grumpy look on my face, you know what's going on. We talk about inflation. We talk about interest rates. We talk about, is there a boogeyman involved in here? We're going to get into that in this week's episode. Canadians are living on the most borrowed money than people in all other G7 nations, mostly because of our big mortgages. And Canada's Housing Authority is warning about how exposed that makes us and the economy should anything go wrong. Let's bring in Jeannie Lee. So, Jeannie, how much debt are we juggling? Well, uh, Hannah, we already had the distinction of uh, owing as much money, uh, actually more money, than the entire value of Canada's GDP, gross domestic product, Canada's economy. It was 107% of GDP a couple of years ago. And if you look at other uh, G7 nations, they've actually been cutting back on the amount of debt that they have. But um, what we can say is that within the G7, uh, Canada is the top uh, borrower. And in terms of what drives a lot of that borrowing, it's simply mortgages. 75% of the amount of money that we borrow is to finance your home or maybe a secondary property, an investment property, all of that type of ownership is on the rise. And so the fact is um, all of this was driven by the fact that prices were up, which encouraged people to buy before they went up even more, plus those super low mortgage rates, abnormally low interest rates, especially since uh, 2020. And uh, that, of course, combined to make for higher mortgages. And people were able to afford that when rates were very low. But now that they aren't, after those eight rate hikes in a row, um, there's a lot more trouble being able to handle those um, monthly payments. But we also know that the Bank of Canada, the government of Canada, has pretty much instructed the banks to uh, go easy on people who are on the edge, who can't afford those monthly payments if rates were to go up, but instead maybe stretch out their mortgages, uh, extend that those amortizations so that they go for years, if not decades longer. So basically, we're borrowing more and we're going to have to pay for it longer uh, is the bottom line here. Two things we, we want to take note of uh, right off the top. First of all, she mentioned that mortgage debt is 75% of Canadian debt load. 25% is non-mortgage debt. So that's a that's a pretty large chunk right there alone, especially since the non-mortgage debt is usually at a much higher interest level, interest rate level. What what you're going to see is on that 25% by and large it will be triple if not quadruple the amount of people's mortgage debt. So that 25% is a very large sum and a very large uh, monthly debt load that people have to carry. So that that's important. Instead of talking about 7% interest rate or 6% interest rate, you're talking about interest rates 20, 25, 30, 35%. I've even seen 40% interest rates on that 
on that portion, that 25%. Now on the other side, the mortgage, the mortgage debt, let's be clear. What we are seeing right now is that people are breaking under the, the weight of the monthly mortgage payments because a large number of people stayed with variable rate mortgages and did not lock in as the rates continued to go up. What you're facing, what people are facing right now is mortgage payments that went from $2,000 to $6,000. Um, I, I just saw a person whose monthly mortgage payment is over $12,000. And you've got to ask, where are people going to come up with the extra thousands of dollars to be able to pay? That's why we're seeing cracks in the system. That's why we're seeing default rates going up along all the major banks. And uh, there's a high percentage for the major banks that are that are seeing this, uh, this increase in default rates. Now, what are they doing? This is the other part of what she mentioned, which is extending amortization. And basically what they're saying is, hey, you're not paying enough, so we're going to extend the amortization another 10 years and another 10 years and another 10 years, which effectively means you're paying the interest on the property and you're not actually paying down the principal. And so in some people's lifetime, if this continues, they'll never pay off their house is what she just shared. Okay, so now there's this other part about the national debt versus the GDP. I'm sorry, guys, I don't have anything great to, to say about that. The reality is, is that our current liberal government has found ways to increase our national debt uh, hand over fist. They've continued to, instead of putting money towards paying down our debt, they've continued to find new projects to fund, new uh, bills to, to uh, pay, and and create and uh and the reality is that the economy is in a slowdown the economy was in a slowdown coming off of covid it was actually there before that and then along came covid and really halted everything so what was our solution between serb between lower interest rates and we could have taken some of that off we could have not given it interest rates, these extra low interest rates for as long as we did. We could have not taken them as low as we did. We could have uh, done a whole number of things. That's the reality. What do we do now is the, is the bigger issue. If our debt load is higher than what our GDP is, we have to figure out how to raise our GDP. And our current government is not looking for ways to do that. They're still putting handcuffs on everybody, whether it be the, the carbon tax um, or uh, just a whole number of different um, disincentives that they're creating. Anytime you've got a government that says budgets bound, will balance themselves, I'm sorry. I, I know that they may be trying to help out with regards to the environment, and the, but at the cost of people's life savings at the cost of their livelihood. People are opting to um, do voluntary, voluntary suicide these days. That makes absolutely no sense. And um, they're doing that because they can't figure out how to make ends meet. 
And um, unfortunately, it comes at the cost of everyday Canadians. And um, some people are continuing to support this current government because they voted for them. And unfortunately, I think Canadians need to take a look at what this government's doing, what their plan is. And the reality is it's, it's not a realistic economic driver. They have no solutions to actually drive the economy other than use your money that you've saved and redistribute it to the people who haven't saved it. Flat out, that's their plan. Today, we maintained our policy interest rate at 5%. We've had 10 rate hikes in the last 18 months. And yes, at least the announcement today is that the key interest rate will hold steady. It's not going up, but it's not going down. And yet all the indicators the Bank of Canada tells us they're watching in order to drop rates are there. So we are already seeing more evidence that tighter monetary policy is reducing price pressures for many goods and services. So what's going on? So there's one thing I have to explain, and I promise that if you understand this one thing, you will understand like 80% of what this story is about. So with inflation and interest rates, the reason we have such high interest rates is because there's too much money chasing too few goods. That's why prices go up. Too many people can afford beef. There's not enough beef to go around, so they increase the price. The main way the Bank of Canada tries to tackle that problem of not just, you know, beef prices, but all prices going up is by increasing interest rates. We pay more on our mortgages and car loans. We have less money for beef and everything and prices go down. We all breathe a sigh of relief. And all those interest rate hikes we've tolerated over the last year and a half, they've been working. The economy has slowed. And the data suggests that demand and supply are now approaching balance. They've been cooling the economy. That's what the Bank of Canada needs to see to lower rates. A steady rate is what you want. We should not see interest rates below 4%. It's not a viable business model for our country. If you make interest rates too low, if the cost of borrowing is too cheap, then there is no incentive to build something, if, if that makes sense. It's a whole lot cheaper and it makes more sense to just borrow and we'll borrow into infinity. And so 4%, 5% is really where interest rates should be. I mean, if you, if you want the housing prices to balance out, you need to have a stable interest rate. And if you, if there is some sort of seismic economic event, you want to have the room to be able to lower interest rates to spur on uh, your society, your community. And so you want to be able to have interest rates at a level that you can go down if need be, you can go up and if need be, but you want them to really stay stable at a place where People have to think twice before they borrow certain sizes, lump sums of money. All of a sudden, people won't be borrowing millions of dollars to purchase homes and um, 
and they'll think twice. And maybe they'll borrow 700,000, 600,000, 500,000, 400,000, and thereby putting downward pressure on, on those properties and house prices in general. You want to see a smooth line, not, not this uh, you know, mountain peak that we just watched over the last couple of years. If we get inflation down to 2%, that what we're saying is that our money system is basically growing by to inflating by 2%. It's a relatively low number that can be extrapolated over time, meaning your the value of your dollar and my dollar, it goes down in value at a slower rate. When, when inflation goes up, what we're seeing is the value of our dollar dropping. That's why things are more expensive. So what we're really seeing is the value of our dollar. All of a sudden, when the price of something is $19 and it used to be $7, that item didn't actually cost more. It's just the number of dollars needed is increased because the value of each of our dollars has gone down. And once we get to this two magical 2%, the, it's just a number that we've chosen for inflation. We found some sort of a balance there. Economists have found some sort of a balance there. Once you find that balance, you can't then lower interest rates again because it'll take it back out of balance. And people will, again, you're incentivizing people to borrow. You and I, to borrow. And typically who borrows first is going to be business owners and entrepreneurs because they're able to quickly take that and turn that into a money-making machine. Because instead of borrowing it at 4%, you know, and now they're borrowing it at 2%, they know that they can make an 8% return or a 10% return very easily. So it it allows them to make a larger profit margin. So it's worth it in business or entrepreneurship to borrow money. Now for homeowners, it incentivizes them to buy larger or bigger, more expensive properties. And unfortunately those properties aren't always more expensive because of the value proposition, but rather because of the devaluing of the dollar. So you, you don't want to have that up and down seesaw motion. Okay. Is there a connection between the, wh what do we see between the 2008 financial crisis versus what we're dealing with right now? For starters, no one is considering this a financial crisis. And uh, most people are considering this, oh, we're just going through some rough times. They won't call it anything until we get uh, further down the road. In 2008, the U.S. went through the what they call the Great Financial Crisis, which was an implosion. There was a loss of value that was crushing the entire economy and was crushing the housing market, where basically in the U.S., you're able to walk away from your home. You can drop the keys and walk away. And so people that had these mortgages were just dropping their keys because it was way too much and just leaving and, and off they were going. And you were seeing the prices of these homes getting cut in half. That is not happening here in Canada 
for starters, because you cannot drop your keys. Here in Canada, Canadians have to give personal guarantees on real estate, which means you cannot walk away. You still owe that debt. You still owe whatever is outstanding. You can try walking away, and uh, but you'll still owe the debt after they take the property and sell it. And, and so what we're seeing in this situation is there was runaway inflation and the government instead had to put the brakes. The government had to come in and stop us because we were borrowing too much money. Canadians were borrowing too much money. And so they had to raise the interest rates to stop us from borrowing more. Whereas in the States, it, it came to a point where people had borrowed too much and they had already come to that breaking point. So the government's trying to stop us from getting to that point. Now, in that process, what has it changed between our American counterparts and Canadians is that Americans were able to walk away from that debt, whereas Canadians are going to have to own that debt for many decades to come. The reality is that our government gave us these extremely low rates, saying, knowing what they were doing, or some parties, um, you know, obviously our current government party said that it would all take care of itself. Well, that's a different level of incompetence. So when you have these two factors come to, together, you want a boogeyman? There you go. Go between the people that think they know and the people that don't have any idea. You, you've got our current storm. As Canadians, we are going to have to deal with the leveling off of prices. If you've bought two, if you've bought a home that's too expensive, you're going to have to deal with not being able to offload it without taking a loss. And we're going to see in 2024, we're going to see people having to take losses with the properties that they bought. Maybe they put down a $300,000 deposit or down payment towards the purchase of their home and now the the value of that property has gone from 1.1 million to 800,000 and that $300,000 is wiped out. But just to get away from that debt load, to get away from that monthly payment, they will have to go ahead and sell and maybe move back into our apartment. What does that mean? It means that now they can afford maybe a nicer apartment. They can afford to pay more for those things. And that, of course, puts pressure on tenants because now you've got more people vying for those same rental units and people willing to pay more. So why wouldn't you now see inflation in the rental markets? That's a normal cause and effect. Okay, so the here's the other part. Is there a correlation between inflation levels and the inflation percentage point and the uh, overnight interest rates. And the answer is, is that they're not directly connected, but they are indirectly connected. The lower our interest rate, our lending rates, the lower that is, the higher inflation, the inflation percentage is going to go. And it becomes exponential as you go 
Yeah. The connection between the two interest rates and inflation rates. Interest rates are at a certain level, and as they come down, as the as your per interest rate goes down, your inflation rate is going to go up. But it doesn't go up in the exact percentage. Instead, as as your interest rates come down, your inflation rate is going to go up exponentially. That's why you can come down by three points from 4% down to 1%. And instead of seeing inflation go up by 3%, you're going to watch as inflation goes up by 9 or 10%. It might triple that amount. And it really is now keyed in by our adoption. How much money we start borrowing at the, those lower rates. If we don't borrow a lot, then that inflation rate stays steady. If we, if we borrow a lot, then that's the problem. Now, here's the one other piece that's tied to that, and it's important to know. There's a difference between borrowing money and now creating value. So if businesses borrow money to be able to increase the GDP, to buy a farm, create more uh, produce, if, they, if you start a mine and you're bringing out exports, if you're doing something that you can now make money and increases the our GDP, then that is anti-inflationary. But if, now on the other hand, we're borrowing money and it's going into consumer debt, if it's just going into your house, if it's going into the cars, into boats, into clothes, into eating out, into these things, then those dollars are disappearing and there's no value added. And so as a result, we see inflation. But if you're instead taking that money, creating value, and instead bringing more dollars back in, then it creates an offset. And so that's the, the piece when you see interest rates versus our inflation rate. Let's, let's take an idea. Let's say you had interest rates at 2% for builders. It would incentivize builders to go out and build properties. But if you had mortgages at, say, 4% or 5%, now that keeps a control on the people buying the properties. So you can incentivize one group and, and keep a lid on the other group. So you can have a lower interest rate, but you can't have a, a lower interest rate across the board because... As human beings, as our human nature is, why would we work for something when we can just borrow it? 